listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by leaving a tip on Venmo by using the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 317, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 17, Paragraphs 334 to 342. Chapter 17. Lucifer stirs up another persecution against the church and against the most blessed Mary. She makes it known to St. John, and at his advice, resolves to go to Ephesus. Her divine son appears to her and commands her to visit St. James in Saragossa. The events connected with this visit. 334. In the eighth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, St. Luke narrates the persecution incited by hell against the church after the death of St. Stephen. He calls it a great persecution, because through the zealous efforts of St. Paul before his conversion, the infernal dragon succeeded in raising it to highest pitch. Of this persecution I have spoken in the 12th and 14th chapter of this part. But from what I have said there, it will be understood that this enemy of God did not rest or consider himself so completely overcome as not to venture new battles against the church and the most blessed lady. From what St. Luke himself says in this twelfth chapter concerning the imprisonment of St. Peter and James by Herod, it is clear that this persecution began anew after the conversion of St. Paul, not even considering his express statement that Herod sent soldiers to afflict some of the faithful of the church, Acts 8.1. In order that what I said and will say may be better understood, I repeat that these persecutions were all plotted and set in motion through the demons by inciting certain malicious men. And because divine providence at times gave the demons this permission and at others withdrew it, casting them into hell, as at the conversion of St. Paul and at other occasions, it naturally happened that the primitive church sometimes enjoyed peace and tranquility. At other times, when this truce was again broken, it was molested and afflicted. And this is the lot of the church in all ages. 335. Peace was favorable to the conversion of the faithful, and persecution increased their merit and practice of virtues, 
and this kind of variation was ordained and will always be maintained by the divine providence. Hence, after the conversion of St. Paul, the church enjoyed some months of peace, namely from the time when Lucifer and his companions were hurled, vanquished, into hell, until the return to the earth, of which I will speak directly. Of this time of tranquility, St. Luke speaks in the ninth chapter where, after relating the conversion of St. Paul, he says that the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and that it increased and walked the way of the Lord in consolation of the Spirit. Although the evangelist mentions this after speaking of the coming of St. Paul to Jerusalem, yet it occurred long before. For St. Paul's coming to Jerusalem happened more than five years after his conversion, and St. Luke, in writing his history, mentions this coming of St. Paul to Jerusalem before mentioning his conversion, as is the case with many events in the evangelists, who were in the habit of anticipating historical facts in order to finish and illustrate their present point. For they did not intend to write the history of all the events, although in the main they did follow the course of events according as they happened. 336. This being understood and following up what I said in the 15th chapter concerning the hellish meeting called by Lucifer after the conversion of St. Paul, I wish to say that this conference lasted for some time, and the infernal dragon with his demons evolved diverse schemes and resolved on different measures for the destruction of the church and for the possible debasement of the great queen from her high state of reputed holiness. But the serpent's ignorance about her was incomparably greater than his knowledge. The days of peace enjoyed by the church being passed, the princes of darkness issued forth from the abysses in order to execute their malicious designs fabricated in the infernal dungeons, and at the head of them all came forth Lucifer. It is worthy of attention that so great was the fury and indignation of this bloodthirsty beast against the church and the most blessed Mary that he brought with him from hell more than two-thirds of his demons for this enterprise, and without doubt he would have emptied hell of all its demons if a part had not been necessary for the torture of the damned souls. For not only are the damned ceaselessly burning in the fires lighted by divine justice, but this dragon never permits the absence of all the demons to relieve them of the sight and companionship of their tormentors. Though Lucifer is so ravenous for the destruction of mortals on earth, he is just as unwilling to grant any relief to the damned in hell, and therefore he will never entirely empty it of the demons. Such an impious, cruel, and inhuman master, the unfortunate sinners on earth continue to serve. 337. The holiness of the Blessed Mother, their divine favor and protection, lavished on the faithful as exhibited in St. Stephen and St. Paul, and all the other events after the death of the Savior, which all came to the knowledge of the dragon, had raised his wrath to the highest and to inconceivable pitch. Therefore, he took up his seat in Jerusalem, personally to erect his batteries against the very stronghold of the faith, and in order to direct the operation of all the infernal squadrons. For the demons preserve order among themselves only for the purpose of warfare against men, while in all the rest they are full of discord and confusion. The Mosai has never permitted full sway to their envy, for in one torment they would overturn and destroy the whole world, but he gave them a limited freedom in order that by affliction the church might take deep roots in this blood and the merits of the saints— and so that in persecution 
and torment might be manifested the wisdom and power of the pilot directing this little ship of the church. Immediately, Lucifer commanded his satellites to scour the whole earth in order to find out where the apostles and disciples were preaching the name of the Lord. The dragon in Jerusalem sought the localities most remote from the places consecrated by the mysteries and the blood of the Lord, for he and all the demons dreaded these spots. And the nearer they approached, the more they felt themselves weakened and oppressed by the divine power. These effects they feel to this day, and will feel to the end of the world. Sorrowful it is indeed that this sanctuary of the faithful, on account of the sins of men, is now in the hands of pagans, and happy are the few children of the church who are within its precincts, such as the sons of our great father and restorer of the church, St. Francis. 338. Through the information brought by his demon, Lucifer learnt the condition of the faithful in all the places where the faith of Christ was being preached. He issued new orders for the persecution of Christians, assigning more or less powerful demons according as he thought it necessary against the different apostles, disciples, or followers of the faith. Others he appointed as messengers to furnish him with accounts of what was happening, or to transmit his orders for conducting warfare against the church. Lucifer also pointed out to his demons, unbelieving, perfidious, evil-minded, and depraved men, whom they were to excite and provoke to envious wrath against the followers of Christ. Among these were Herod and many Jews who abhorred the crucified, and wished to blot out his very name from the land of the living. Jeremiah 11.19 They also availed themselves of the Gentiles that were most depraved, and most given to idolatry. They selected both from the ones as from the others, the worst and most perfidious, to act as helpers and instruments of their malice. In this way they began the persecution of the church, and they continued in succeeding ages to use similar diabolical arts for the ruin of virtue, of the fruits of the redemption, and the blood of Christ. In the primitive church, the infernal dragon caused great havoc among the faithful, overwhelming them with diverse kinds of tribulation, not recorded or known to us. Although we know that what St. Paul, in his epistle to the Hebrews, says of the persecution of the ancient saints, was repeated in the saints of the New Testament. In addition to these exterior persecutions, the demons afflicted all the just, the apostles, disciples, and believers, with hidden temptations, suggestions, illusions, and malicious promptings, as he continues to do now with all those who desire to walk in the divine law and follow Christ our Redeemer and Master. 3.39 But nothing of all this was hidden to the great Mother of Wisdom, because in the clearness of her eminent science she perceived all the secrets of hell that were hidden to the rest of mortals. Although blows and wounds when they find us prepared, are wont to cause us less damage. And although the most prudent virgin was so well fortified against the coming troubles of the Holy Church that she could not be surprised by them, yet so they concerned the apostles and the faithful whom she loved from her most soul. The prospect of these afflictions wounded her most tender heart and filled her with sorrow in proportion to her almost boundless charity. It would have deprived her of life many times, if, as I have often said, the Lord had not wonderfully preserved it. And in truth, all just souls who are perfected in divine love would be moved at seeing the wrath and fury of such a host of demons, 
so vigilant and astute, exerted against the few faithful in their needy and frail condition, and burdened with so many miseries of their own. In consideration of their danger, the Most Blessed Mary forgot all that concerned herself, and was ready to undergo any possible suffering for the protection and consolation of her children. She multiplied her sighs and tears, her exertions and prayers for their safety, especially the apostles and disciples. She sought to fortify and encourage by renewing her counsels and exhortations. Many times she restrained the demons by her sovereign commands as queen and snatched from their claws innumerable souls whom they were deceiving and perverting, and thus she rescued them from eternal death. At other times, she prevented great cruelties intended for the ministers of Christ, for Lucifer sought the life of the apostles as he had already done before through Saul. All this happened likewise to the disciples who were preaching the faith. 340. Though the heavenly mistress preserved her interior peace and tranquility and her exterior equanimity and serenity, yet her compassionate anxiety and maternal solicitude failed not to reveal in some measure the sorrow of her heart in her countenance. And as St. John attended upon her with the cut, with the watchful devotion of a son, the slight change in her appearance could not remain concealed from the eagle eyes of this seer. He was deeply afflicted, and having in vain battled with his anxiety, he betook himself to the Lord, seeking enlightenment, and saying, My Lord and God, Savior of the world, I acknowledge my indebtedness to thee, for having without any merits and out of pure condescension given me her as a mother, who is thy own, who conceived thee, bore and nursed thee at her bosom. Through this blessing I am made rich and prosperous in the possession of the greatest treasure of heaven and earth. But without thy royal presence, thy mother, my mistress, is forsaken and alone, and for it neither men nor angels can compensate, much less I, a vile worm and a slave. My God and Savior of the world, I now see her sorrowful, who gave thee human form, and who is the joy of thy people. I desire to console her and alleviate her grief, but I find myself incapable of doing it. Reason and love urge me on, but reverence and my frailty prohibits it. Give me, O Lord, light and spirit for doing what will please thee and serve thy mother. 341. After this prayer, the saint debated with himself for some time whether he should ask the great mistress of heaven concerning her sorrow or not. On the one side, his love urged him thereto, and on the other, he was restrained by his holy fear and reverence for her. Three times he approached the door of her oratory and was as many times withheld by his reverence from asking the question. The Heavenly Mother knew all that St. John was doing and what passed through his heart. Out of respect for him as a priest and minister of the Lord, she thereupon rose from her prayer and sought him out, saying, Master, tell me what thou askest of thy servant. I have already said that the lady called the priests and ministers of her son masters. The evangelist was consoled and encouraged by this advance, and with some hesitation answered, My lady, my office and desire of serving thee has caused me to notice thy sorrow, and I am troubled at thy suffering, which I am anxious to alleviate. 3.42 St. John added no more words, but the queen knew his desire to be informed of her trouble, and in promptest obedience she fulfilled his wishes as those of her superior. Even before he should express them, Most Holy Mary turned to the Lord and said, My God and Son, thou hast wished thy servant John to take thy place as my companion and attendant, 
and I have received him as my prelate and superior, whose will and desire as soon as they become known to me. I wish to obey in order that I, thy humble servant, may live and be governed by thy obedience. Give me permission to tell him of my anxiety according to his wish. She felt at once the fiat of the divine will, and falling on her knees at the feet of St. John, she asked his blessing and kissed his hands. Having asked his permission to speak, she said, My master, Lord, the sorrow of my heart is well founded, for the Most High has shown to me the tribulations which are to come over the church, and the persecutions which all its children, especially the apostles, shall suffer. In preparation for the execution of this wickedness in the world, I have seen the infernal dragon, with innumerable hosts of evil spirits issuing forth from the caverns of the abysses, all filled with implacable wrath and fury for the destruction of the church. The city of Jerusalem will be the first and foremost in their assault. In it, one of the apostles will meet his death, and others will be imprisoned and afflicted at the instigation of the demon. My heart is filled with compassion and sorrow at the opposition of these enemies to the exaltation of the holy name of God and to the salvation of souls. This concludes our reading today for day number 317. We've been reading from volume 4, book 7, chapter 17, paragraphs 334 to 342. What is your vision of hell? I think we often see pictures of hell, and so we have some sort of idea of what it might look like. The saints have seen hell. There are books about this. If you wish to really scare hell out of you, you might read them. But today, as we heard about kind of the unleashment of demons on the church, Satan would have wished to release all the demons, but he doesn't. Instead, he sends as many as he can, but a few have to remain in hell to torment the damned. When I've thought about hell in the past, I've often thought that the torment was the fact that you were not with God, that you knew you could be with God, and that without seeing God, this was the great torment, that you have that separation but the demons, it seems, according to Maria Bagrada, that they torment those who are damned. They make that experience for all eternity. And that's just when you begin to wrap your mind around it. There comes greater meaning to those words of that prayer that Our Lady taught at Fatima. Save us from the fires of hell. Yes, dear Lord, save us by the prayers of Mary from those wretched fires. I thought it was also interesting that as the apostles were at the holy sites, that they had lesser effect of evil when they were in those places. If you're able, every Christian should at some point go to the Holy Land, to go to those places, to be near the mysteries of our salvation. And when you do so, According to our reading today, the effects of hell are not felt there. The evil one has no power in those places. And then in our reading today, we continue to see that relationship of mother and son 
John the Beloved develop? And I think that, you know, John stands in for all of us. That's what we say. And as we see John going to Mary and Mary going to John and the development of this relationship of mother and son, maybe it makes us think about our relationship with Our Lady and how that develops over time as well. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.